0: All right, I want to welcome on my next guest, we've got NBA Hall of Famer, NBA champion, ABA champion, NBA Rookie of the Year, NBA All-Star Game MVP, NBA uh, Finals MVP, and one of the greatest individuals to ever pick up a basketball, Mr. Rick Barry. Rick, how's everything going?
1: Well, Zach, nice to talk to you. Hope uh, you're doing well during this insane time that we're living in.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Hope I was well with you. It's wild time. How have you been managing with everything going on?
1: Well, I just don't travel as much as I used to, and I would I would be coaching right now in the in the uh, three you know three big three three x you know three and my son's playing in three x three, which is kind of cool. I was kind of hoping to be able to do something, maybe get him play on my team, but obviously they've canceled the season for the big three. And uh, so yeah, so not much traveling, just playing a lot of pickleball and trying to stay in shape. Do occasional fishing here and there, and you know ride my bike and. Just try to stay in uh, stay in shape and work on a bunch of business projects. Fortunately, the whole world hasn't come to a stop. It's yeah. just been a major inconvenience and yeah. probably has had a dramatic negative impact on so many people and have probably screwed up a lot of people's lives. Which is the thing that's most disturbing to me. Yeah, uh, is that I don't know how much thought has gone into what impact it's having on so many other people's lives, because there's more to this than just. Uh, pandemic that's going on so anyway i'm going to move it here because my wife is in the background so so uh anyway that's uh you know that's kind of the way it is but i'm not going to get into talking politics because i'm not going to spoil a sports (laughs) interview talking about politics we just need to keep damn politics out of sports please absolutely
0: and i have a question talking sports have you been Have you been watching some of the nba going down in orlando what have you thought about that
1: yeah yeah it's pretty cool uh i mean i think it's Really was wise of, uh, of the NBA to avoid some of the pitfalls that have happened with baseball and some of the other sports, where these guys are all passing the disease back and forth. Not that anybody's life has been no. in jeopardy, but it it is an issue, and and the NBA took probably as dramatic a stance to try to prevent that from happening by doing the bubble situation, and seems to be working out. They've had some very competitive games, oh, some yeah. great performances. I mean, you know, Harden's you know throwing up his big numbers as usual, and Lillard had another big game with, yeah. you know, 51 points. And yeah. so, yeah, but there's been some great performances, some really exciting games, overtime games. Yeah. So it's, it's working out pretty well. I don't know how the guys are dealing with it. Having to be away from your families, that's not easy, but in today's world, it's a little bit different. I mean, you know, here we are, we're sitting, we're talking, we're seeing each other. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they're not going to be able to see their kids and their family. I mean, because of the technology that exists today yeah. and, it's kind of like an extended training camp, really, because when you go away to training camp, you don't have your family or anybody with you. Uh, so I'm sure everybody is more than happy to be playing than not to be playing. I would think so, at least.
0: Is there anybody that really has been it caught your attention? Like, I did not expect them to be playing this well.
1: No, I mean, I, I, I'm i just – I think there was the, they were smart in having it so that they had some games to play, to, to play into the playoffs in, in order to give these players who haven't had a chance to have any kind of competitive – Situation existing, and it's one thing if you had a chance even to go out and work out. I know that some guys I know have basketball courts or something in their houses and have access to it, but a lot of guys didn't have that. So this at least gives them a chance to get back, get on a court, get some competitiveness going, and fine tune their games a little bit to get ready for the playoffs. I think as this progresses the quality of play is going to I- improve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's been absolutely fantastic. I I, I didn't think it was going to go this well, but it been it's been incredible. It hasn't really been anything too out of the ordinary, but it's the game's been fantastic, super competitive. I think it's I don't know why they invited Washington, but it, other than that, it, it's great. <laughs> no, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about your your early career. So how did you end up at uh, University of Miami?
1: Well, if you uh, were born and raised in New Jersey and you had a chance to go to Miami, it's a pretty simple decision to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to get out of the lousy winter weather. Uh, and of course, a lot of places is even worse than that. And I just wanted to get away from home. And I just think the Northeast is its kind of like survival of the fittest. My, my wife <laughs> affectionately calls it the East Coast edge, because if you're not out there to protect yourself, somebody will walk all over you and stomp you into the ground. So... <laughs> Uh, it, it was nice to get away and, and go down there. And the main reason was it wasn't, number one, to get away from the weather. Number one was to go someplace and play for a coach yeah. that I really wanted to play for who was a, a good person. I had a very difficult situation in high school with a coach who was kind of nuts. In fact, actually, years later, he was threatening to jump off a faculty building when he was working at a college. Uh, that's the kind of guy that's I had to deal with. And so that wasn't very much fun. And <laughs> yeah. I almost quit basketball because of him. Oh, really? My, yeah, really. And my brother talked me into not doing that, saying, hey, you can get a scholarship and you need to do it. Thank goodness they were able to convince me to yeah. to not give that up. And so I just was happy to go to a place that was an independent. I knew that I'd travel around, get a chance to see the country because they play games. We played up in the Northeast. We played wow. back in the Midwest. We played back in California. So I had a real good education in that regard. Yeah. And we played a style of basketball that was so conducive for my game. It was pro basketball in college. Yeah, I mean, do, do you realize, Zach, that back then in 1964, 65 season, in fact, actually from my, both my junior and senior year, we averaged like 98, 99 points a game with, with, with no three-point shot. Incredible.
0: That's yeah. incredible. It's amazing. And I, 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 some of the games, like even back when you played, I, I think they shoot way too many threes now. I, I think it's all right a little bit, but like when it's – especially you're talking about Harden just, just – enough enough take it to the rack come on no but um so speaking of that so I saw your senior year you put put on a show um what what kind of click for
1: you what's that
0: your senior year I saw you you averaged like 37 37
1: I games? led the league I, yeah I led the country in scoring in my senior year <laughs> and uh, averaged like 36 points a game wow. something like that and and that's pretty remarkable considering I had teammates I had three team four probably four teammates at least four teammates that when they crossed half court they thought they were in range if we had really? the three point, if we had the three point shot, we would have scored 110 points a game easy. I mean, easy. I had guys who could shoot the hell out of the <laughs> basketball from distance. I mean, Rick Jones, Rick Jones, uh, <clears throat> Junior G, Wayne Beckner, and uh, Louis Dampier's cousin John Dampier. I mean, these guys. In fact, in, until recent years, I had never seen anybody be as accurate and as deadly a jump shot from distance as John Dampier had my teammate for one season that he oh. hurt his knee early in the season, unfortunately, mm. but man, oh man, could he, he could shoot a jump shot from distance. Yeah. He was unbelievable. And then, then Rick, uh, Rick Jones and, and Junior G also were great. And so was Wayne Beckner, my other teammate. They are great shooters.
0: That's awesome. Um, is it true that in 65, the Warriors had the top two picks?
1: It's the only year that in the NBA, in the history of the NBA, that they took the last teams, last place teams in the Eastern and Western Conference, flipped a coin, and the winners got to pick first and fourth, and the losers picked second and third. They've never done it before. The Knicks won the coin flip, and they got first and fourth. They took Bill Bradley, and then they took Dave Stallworth from Wichita State, and the Warriors got second and third. I still, to this day, don't know definitively of whether they actually said my name before Fred Hetzel or <laughs> or Fred Hetzel's name before mine. But it really was irrelevant because they had two picks. So, But if they had only one pick, I, I don't know if they would have chosen me over Fred. I, I don't know.
0: That's wild. That's wild.
1: Did you have a feeling they were looking at you? Oh, yeah. I knew that they were looking at me. Uh, I, I knew that, that I was projected to be a, you know, a top pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I never forgave the Knicks for not taking me because I was born in New Jersey. That was my team. I grew up watching the Knicks. And um, the fact that the owner of the team, when they was asked why they didn't draft me, he said that that I was too skinny and flaky. And I said, well, he might be right, but I could play. I mean, you know, and so I, I think they made a mistake in that regard, but that's okay. So I had a lot of big games against the Knicks. I'm not a vindictive person, but I also am like an elephant i don't forget and then,
0: forget. <laughs> cool. and then do, you, do you think the pro style you played at miami helped you adjust easier to the ga- nba game oh
1: without question i mean it's actually easier for me to play in the nba oh, wow. that's why but the crazy. reason being in college the entire the other team's entire defense was geared to try to stop me so i played against box and ones triangles and twos you know it was double teamed a lot and still managed to score you know thirty, thirty six 36 points that's or awesome. something a game and um So when I went to the pros, I said, this is unbelievable. I only got one guy guarding me. This is is a piece of cake.
0: (laughs) Who who, who is the best defender you ever went up against guarding you? Well,
1: the most most, uh, committed defender, I guess that's a good word to say, the most fanatical defender would be another word, was a guy by the name of E.C. Coleman. He was so intent on guarding me, I mean, to the point of actually being a detriment to his team because – if you if you were standing, you're my teammate, and you're three feet away from me, and he's guarding me, and I have the ball, and you're open, and I throw it to you, you're getting a wide-open shot. He's not leaving me. No, he's not leaving me. Trust me. He, he, in fact, one time we were playing in the Superdome, and kids to jazz when they were playing back there before they moved to Utah, and they called a timeout. I was walking to the huddle, and, and EC was following me. I turned and said, hey, EC, I'm sorry, but you can't come to the huddle with me. <laughs>
0: That's inc- did, did anybody tell him, like, hey, you,
1: you got to rotate a little bit? No, he was just totally, <laughs> completely committed and dedicated to trying to shut me down. And that's why I always tell this so many times I hear people talking about it. They always are saying, and it really drives me nuts when it's a former player that's saying it on color commentary on basketball yeah. games. In the NBA. Well, he's a lockdown defender. <laughs> Trust me on this, Zach. It doesn't exist. No. There is no such thing as a lockdown defender, the greatest defensive player in the world is never going to lock down a great offensive player. Now he may work, make you work harder to get what you get. And if you take two, three, four, five five more shots than you normally take to get your average, he's actually done a good job, Yeah. but he's not locking you down. The only thing he's got to hope is that you just be having to have a bad night. I mean, that's, you know, and that happens sometimes.
0: Yeah. And I always want to say like, Oh, the defend- that defend that's this defender really shut down LeBron. He only finished with 28. I'm like,
1: what? no, well, no, well, no, no, no. It doesn't exist.
0: I have a question. So you went from Rookie of the Year to All-Star MVP.
1: No, here, your- no, here, well, I have to cut you off there because people right. do this all the time. They always say, yeah, yeah, it was rookie, yeah it was rookie, year, he was Rookie of the Year. Wait a second. Rookie of the Year is one thing. I was first-team All-Pro as all right. a rookie, okay, <laughs> which is a little bit more impressive than just Rookie of the Year. That's true. <laughs> so, I mean, I, and I take pride in that. I mean, and the reason being is because of the way I played in Miami. I mean, I played four years of nba style basketball up and down the court fast break man-to-man defense so i was i had four years of training to go into the nba that's one of the reasons why it's very rare that you see a rookie come in and accomplish what i accomplished because first of all guys aren't in school for four years anymore if they're any good and they don't play a style of basketball that teaches you how to play the game that way and so i had a tremendous advantage in that regard and was very fortunate to to have some great coaches starting with my dad and my brother who helped me so much. And then cool. my college coach, Bruce Hale, it was terrific. And you got to be lucky. You got to, you got to be lucky to get the people to teach you. My father was most responsible because my father was a semi pro player and coach. My father laid oh. the foundation to build on. You have to have a found big foundation yeah. Yeah. in order to build a skyscraper. Yeah. And if you go up to a certain height without a good foundation, what happens? The building will topple over. Yeah. yeah. And so, It's the same in anything you do in life. When I tell kids, when I talk to them, find something you love, have a passion for. Learn as much about it as you can because what you're doing is you're laying the foundation that you now can build on. And then if you continue to study it and work at it and never be satisfied with what you're doing, learn as much about it as you possibly can. That's how much that foundation is going to grow. And then if you're blessed with God-given talent and you put the time and the work into it, the effort into it, it's not work if you love what you're doing, put the effort into it, you're going to maximize your full potential. There's a lot of guys playing in the NBA today that will never be as good as they should be because yeah. they don't understand how to play the game the right way. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, Some of the guys you see that's just taking taking games off here, there. They're not into it. Maybe they're only in it if they're down. Or B's the one that really comes to my mind. He's not. You never. He's never really a hundred percent there. You see flashes, but it's 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 true what you're saying. Then so I have a question. So after that rookie season, what was your goal in year two?
1: My goal is to win a championship. That's all it's about. It's not about individual goals. Yeah. I mean, it's not an individual sport. It's a team sport. Your goal on a team should be to win a championship, and then you should be prepared to do whatever it is is being asked of you to do in an effort to be able to achieve that. Now, if it happens to be that they're asking you to do something that you can't do as well as you could do something else, you could certainly sit down and talk to the coach about it and say, Coach, I think I can help more in this way or whatever. But that's one of the problems that exists with the coaching is that a lot of times coaches have a system, yeah. and they try to force players to play their system. I think that in, in basketball, which I can speak of with some pretty good authority, yeah. uh, that's the worst thing that you can do. I mean, yeah. there's players so many times that all of a sudden they go on one team, they go to another team, next thing you become an all-star player. Why? Not because all of a sudden he learned how to play, because he went to vote for a coach that let him play the way he's capable of playing so he can utilize his talent to its fullest, and he winds up doing what he should have been doing on the other team, but the other coach never took advantage of that. And so you have to adjust, I think. You can have a philosophy defensively, yeah. and even there you have to be careful because you can't go and run a pressing defense yeah. if you don't have guys who understand how to do it properly. You have to have people who know how to do what you want them to do in the right manner. And offensively, I, may, I could probably adjust to any offense. I did that with the Rockets when I went there and gave up what I usually did in order to fit in with them and try to help them win. And I think as a player you should be willing to do that. But was that the smartest thing to do? I don't think so. I think our team would have been better if I had been allowed to do some of the things I was capable of doing, which I wasn't. And and that happens a lot of times to players. And so I think offensively, you need to put in a system that utilizes the skill and talents of your players in the most efficient manner possible and then play together as a team. And number one and first and foremost, is to make a commitment to being a really top defensive team from a team standpoint. Do you think now the
0: teams have really just kind of abandoned – like most teams, you're not, you don't even see them trying that hard. Some no, I players. don't
1: think so. I, I think that it's, it's, it's incumbent on the coach to demand it. It's not like you ask them to. You demand it. If a player is not willing to go out and play defense the way you want it to play and put the effort forth, don't play him. I mean, he should have the authority to do that. And that's one of the key elements is that a coach has got that win – the, it shouldn't even be approval, but I guess it is the approval. But he, he has got to establish a relationship with his star player. Yeah, He's got to get his star player to buy into what they're trying to do and get him to be the focal point of the team concept. And if you can't have that relationship with your star player, you have no chance of really being successful because it's critical to have your star player buying into what you're trying to do as a team.
0: Yeah, and I have a question. So in year, year three... You guys went up to the finals, played against Philly. What, what was really That clicking? was year two. That was year two? Oh, no, no. no, 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 no. Yeah, so, oh. second year. Okay, second year. So, year two. What, what was really clicking against Philly? How did, how, what was it? The well, NBA they were one of
1: the, of the, they're they're picked as one of the greatest teams in the history of the NBA. Yeah. Uh, they had Will Chamberlain and Luke Jackson and wow. Billy Cunningham and Larry Costello and Hal Greer and Matty Gukas and Wally Jones and Chet Walker. I mean, they had a lot of great it's a players. It's a load and, load, yeah. Uh we came within two plays, two pick and roll plays involving Nate Thurman and myself and Will Chamberlain that had those pick and roll plays gone our way instead of their way, we might have won in six games. Uh it was that close of a series. But it, it was uh, it was a great battle. Um my only disappointment about it is is even though I had scoring wise I had an incredible series, uh I played the entire series, having to get my ankle shot up before the game and at halftime. They probably would never allow me to do that today. I'm lucky I didn't ruin my career. Yeah. Really? I was really fortunate that I didn't do something to just totally destroy my my career physically, because it's not smart to go out and play when you when you're numbing up your ankle and you can't even yeah. feel it.
0: Yeah. No. Because I remember a couple of years ago, I remember like I think it was Julius Randle, they could give him cortisone shots before every game. I'm like, this can't. Well,
1: cortisone be- shots, one thing. I yeah, was getting yeah. mine numbed.
0: <laughs> that's, that's, horrible. that's That's wild. and then I have a question so soon after you departed from the NBA for the ABA what caused that
1: well I came within two plays of winning I won the MVP of the all-star game I was the leading league scorer in the league uh I had an incredible year first team all pro but I didn't have a lot of fun um God rest his soul Bill Sharman was our coach he, he was he was a great player and a yeah. And, and very successful coach, but he took the fun out of it for me. Basketball always been fun for me. I never looked at it as my job. I love playing, and he just made it. He made it like a job. I mean, hardly any time ever off. Um, made us do things. The morning shoot-arounds, which I absolutely hated. Um, the travel when we were back there. We we get done with the game, you go out and get something to eat with your eight dollars a day per diem driving cars, not you know, not buses, telling taking everywhere and get up and take the first commercial flight out the next morning. Maybe you get three, four hours of sleep to fly to the next city and play a game the next night. You know, I mean, it it just was a different world entirely. And I just needed to get a little more sleep. I was playing 40-something minutes of gaming. Nowadays, the majority of players don't play more than 36 minutes a game. And and so here we go. I came and had all that stuff going for us, and it wasn't a lot of fun in, in that regard. And even though I enjoyed the success that we had, and basketball had always been fun. So I had an opportunity to go and possibly go play for my college coach, who was my father-in-law at the time. And so I'd looked into the situation, and I said, okay, here's the situation. Give me your best offer. I'm going back to the Warriors. I'm going to tell them to give me the, my, their best offer. And if your offer is better than theirs, I'll come play for you. And and uh, as it turned out, the Warriors didn't think I would ever leave. And so they didn't give me an offer that they came out in the paper and said they lowballed me. And they opened up the door for me to go and do what I was looking forward to do just to have the opportunity to have fun again playing the game. And so uh, I didn't do it to try to be a trailblazer. It turned out that I was because it was Kurt Flood before Kurt Flood challenged the reserve clause and basically opened up the floodgates for all the players to have a chance to play out their options and have the salaries start escalating. So, uh, you know, and as it turned out, I didn't even get to play for my father-in-law because they actually brought in Alex Hannum, who was my coach in my rookie year that I really enjoyed playing for. So, Life is strange, a lot of twists and turns, and you just make the most of it. And I don't live in the past. I don't look back on things. And I've been asked many times, if you had to do it over again, would you do it? And I said, well, I probably wouldn't, but only on the one proviso that I could be where I am today with the wife that I have, my son that I have, another son, the friends that I have. And if I knew that I could stay with the Warriors and still be where I am today with all of that. I would, I would stay. Interesting.
0: I have a question. I saw that they didn't let you play your rookie
1: year. With the no, I played game. my rookie. I had to sit out when I when I switched to go over after my first two years. I had to sit out a year, and so I, I, yeah. I sat out my option. And that never got resolved in the courtroom. Uh, it was crazy because the judge got sick, and so that never did get reserve, resolved. But uh, I sat out a year, and I played for my good friend, Johnny Holiday, who's godfather to my oldest son, Scooter. I was who's actually who's talking Johnny. to him a couple weeks ago. Johnny Holiday, huh? who's in D.C.? Yeah, yeah, that's my guy. Johnny is my friend of over fifty years. He was this jockey of the year when he was back out there at KYA KYA Radio, and so I played for the KYA Radio Wonders. I played point guard, and I would feed Johnny and give him about thirty shots (laughs) a game.
0: That's wild. No, yeah, I was talking a couple weeks ago because I know he just went on vacation. I was just talking to him. He was telling me about his like whole career and everything, and he was telling me about all the stuff he did with Washington and he's doing the Terps now and just a little bit. Everything. Oh no, we
1: played against the high school. We we would go and during that season, I went out. We played all these high school faculties and other people try to raise money for him. And oh, cool! They were called the KYA Radio Wonders.
0: That's incredible. I never knew that. That's wild. And then so, and then after they let you play, you kind of got in a role. What was that like when they finally said when he finally suited up?
1: Well, unfortunately, I got hurt. I, yeah. I went to play for the Oaks after I sat out the year, and then uh, led the league in scoring. But I I injured my knee, and uh, and missed the playoffs. Actually, so I didn't get to play in the finals and, and the playoffs. And that we did win the championship. Had some great players on that team. And, uh, Larry Brown, Doug Moe were part of that team, and a lot of uh, a lot of really good people on that team. Uh, Warren Armstrong was on that team, who became Warren Jabali had another guard that, oh my God, is so short. Henry Logan, if he hadn't gotten hurt, man, I'll tell you, this guy, I had never seen a player do what he did. You talk about ball handling the way guys do it now, through the legs, do all that stuff. He could run up and down the court blindfolded doing that stuff. He was amazing, (laughs) and he could jump and shoot. Just a great, great young young man, and then he hurt his knee, and his career was over. It's such a shame. He's from Asheville, North Carolina. I got to see him at the 50th reunion of the ABA. It was really nice to see Henry, but what a what a shame. What a shame that he, he didn't stay healthy. He, he would have been a great, great pro basketball player. And then, of course, Warren was a heck of a player himself. He's no longer with us now. But, yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. And uh, and and then after that, uh, the team got sold and, and moved to Washington, D.C. And I didn't feel that I had to go. I had a verbal ac- agreement, but I didn't have it in, in written down. And my attorney had told me, you need to put this on paper and – because of that, I, I had to go. I honored my contract. I had signed a deal to go back to the Warriors if I was legally able to do so, but that case never got heard. The judge got sick, it kept getting delayed, postponed. And so what happened is I then the team they, then they traded me to uh, to the net, to the Nets for the ABA. And so I went up there to play. And then once that contract that I had signed for the Warriors saying I'm when I'm legally able to do so, well once that original contract of mine was over, the court ruled, well, I have to go back because that contract now was taking precedence. So I had another year that I owed, that I had a contract to go back to the Warriors. That's and insane. so the owner of the Nets wanted me to stay. And uh, and he said, well, just sit out, I'll pay you. I said, no, no, I already sat out one year <laughs> of my career. I'm not sitting out another one. I was, and so and I told the Warriors, look, if I'm coming back, I, I'm not going to come back and just do one year. If you're going to do that, you got to extend my contract, which they did. I have, and, a question,
0: uh, I have a question. When you guys moved to D.C., where where did you play?
1: Uline Arena. Where's that? It's just you know, uh, in in a in a difficult part of town. Yeah. I used to pay, I I paid somebody to watch my car <laughs> so it wouldn't get stolen.
0: is <laughs> it, it near near RFK? Was it near RFK?
1: I, I I know RFK Not didn't right. even exist back then. Uh, oh, wow. So no, it was Uline Arena. It was a rat hole. Yeah. <laughs> and uh um, yeah like i say i i had a guy that i met was over there and actually i paid somebody to watch my car so that's it would incredible. be there after the game that's incredible
0: that's wild and then so um going back to the warriors what what was that like were you just kind of was there any bad blood uh, or were yeah, you I, ready to go i
1: love the warriors it was a very emotional thing for me to have to leave them it was kind of like going back home i love the owner of the team it's a great man he he uh Treated me like like a son, and uh, you know, he actually had hung my jersey on the back of his door, said, we're going to get him back someday. And you know, as it turned out, I was able to go back there. And then cool. within two seasons, we wound up winning winning the first championship that the team had ever won in the, in the Bay Area. And everything in life happens for a reason, and you just yeah. make the most of it. And like you say, you play the cards that you're dealt. Sometimes in life, you're dealt a lousy ham hand. But fortunately, I learned how to play bridge. And in bridge, you have to play your bad hands. You can't just fold like you do in poker. Yeah. And so you just learn to play the bad hands.
0: And speaking of that 75 title. So my, my father grew up in the DC area and he asked me to ask you this. He said the bullets were the best team in basketball year. You guys blanked them. How did you do that?
1: Well, because they weren't the best team in basketball, obviously. <laughs> regular <laughs> yeah. season, regular season. Well, in the regular season, they had the best record, but nah, the thing is fair. they weren't the best team in basketball <laughs> because you're only the best team if you win the championship. And so I think they were overconfident. Um, I got a big kick out of the fact that they had said that, you know, there, there's no way they can win because, you know, again, Reardon can handle Barry. And I'm going, wait a second. I'm taller than he is. I'm faster <laughs> than he is. How is he going to handle me? And and they looked at the stats and saw, you know, what I did scoring-wise and stuff. I and mean, I think we played them four times, and it was 3-1 that they won. One of them was a very close game, but they won three out of four. Uh, one of the games – I, had, I just had a bad shooting game. I didn't shoot the ball well. Another game I probably shouldn't have played. I was hurt, and I played anyway and didn't have a particularly good game. And I I said, wow, these guys, they could be in trouble because they're not they're really not better than we are. Hmm. And obviously, we proved that that was the case. And it's, and it's the biggest upset in the history of the NBA Finals, yeah. bar, bar none. That's why. And it, it never gets credit. That's probably the most – over in the three major sports in our country, it's probably the most overlooked accomplishment by any team in the history of our sports, wow. think about it. Yeah. They say, "Oh, oh well, the Jets went in the Super Bowl." No, no, the Jets were picked to be a great team in the in the <laughs> NFL and the AFL. Yeah, I mean, so it was just an upset that they thought Green Bay was going to beat them, but it wasn't like they were a team that was a lousy team in the AFL that went on to go go to the Super Bowl and and, and win. No, not only that, we weren't even supposed to be a playoff team. So we win our we win our our conference. Then we're supposed to get, you know, beaten by, by Chicago and everybody picked and everything, and we wind up winning that. And then we said, biggest mismatch in the history of the NBA finals. It's going to be a sweep. And we swept the team is supposed to sweep us. It doesn't get any more dramatic than that. There's nothing in any sport, in baseball, well, the main sports, baseball, football, basketball, that has ever happened. And yet nobody wrote about it. We didn't make the cover of Sports Illustrated. We didn't really? get invited to the White House. We didn't get on the cover of Sports Illustrated. We didn't get invited to the White House. Nobody's done any documentary about us, and everything. It's one of the most overlooked accomplishments in sports history in the United States of America. That's
0: incredible. And then to, I have a question. So, when the Warriors, their recent success, did that shine in the light on your your teams back then, or not really? Well, no.
1: People just talked about I me. Mean, the first championship in forty years it took forty years for them to yeah. win another championship. Yeah, that's what but I mean. but it's still. I mean, it's just it's inexcusable. I feel badly because I mean, I got recognition because I was the MVP of the of the championship series, what have you but my teammates didn't get the credit they deserved. I mean, it's crazy. You look at some of the documentaries that they've done over the years about things that have happened and everything. This is a great story. Yeah. And yet nobody, nobody ever wrote about it. Nobody did anything, no no, no documentary, nothing at all whatsoever. It, it's, it's really sad and I feel badly This my teammates were awesome. It wouldn't have happened without them. And it's a great story to show you what can happen when a team comes together. I mean, there were some great stories about that and what took place and i don't understand it i really truly don't it's it's really sad
0: that's crazy mate. hopefully they do something about it that's that's yeah that's i think it's so bizarre especially with not much recognition but not going to the white house or sports illustrated wasn't that like common, common-
1: nothing we nothing there were any because there is no way when we just because we won a game nobody figured the game was going to be over in four even though we won the first game you know and then even come home to second so yeah like i said no Sports Illustrated cover. That's incredible. No, invi- no invitation to the White House. I mean, it just—it was crazy. I mean, it was—it's—it's it's sad. I, yeah. I do. I feel really badly, not for me, but for my teammates. My teammates yeah. deserve to get the credit for what they helped accomplish because it wasn't me that did it. It wasn't for my teammates. We wouldn't even gone to the finals. I mean, our teammates played unbelievable in Game Seven against Chicago. When I was stinking up the gym, and Coach put me on the bench for almost a whole quarter.
0: That's incredible. That's why I never knew that. That's really interesting. And then I saw that you, you went to Houston after your time um, in the Bay Area. What what appealed to you about that team?
1: Well, nothing really appealed to me. I really wanted to stay. <laughs> I, I I did it because of principle. I didn't want to leave the Bay Area. Why would I want to do that? And, then, and so, uh, unfortunately, I mean, I had an offer and the you know, Rockets gave me an offer and I went in to sit down and talk to the general manager at the time, Scotty Sterling, who used to be with the used to be with the uh, Oakland Oakland Raiders. And I remember sitting in there, Franklin Muley, the owner was off cruising around on a sailboat. And, uh, I, I remember him saying to me, Rick, I can't believe that you're going to blow this deal over $15,000. I said, Scotty, I think you got it backwards. I can't believe that you're willing to let me go over $15,000. <laughs> and so, he didn't come up with the money the 15,000 and it became a matter of pride and principle to me. I mean, this is ridiculous. How could I, I certainly were 15 extra $15,000. So I said, okay, great. And so I went and went to the Rockets and of course, actually everything in life happened have I read it, but that shortened my career because I was willing to go there and take a subservient role on a team that had just the most talented team I probably have ever played on. Yeah. Two other hall of famers are on there and another great player in Mike Newland and then Rudy Tomjanovich. I mean, it was, it was a hell of a team. And, And I was willing to take that role. It it was, uh, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. And so I wound up shortening my career because everybody said, oh, he can't play. And then to show you how things change in, in the world, that was 1980, after the 1979 80 season. The NBA, to save money, cut the rosters from 12 to 11. To save money. Otherwise, I would have gone and been. I would have played for the Boston Celtics. I would have gonna go. I was going to Boston. Really? And they came out with cutting the rosters back to eleven, and Boston didn't want to do it because they only had eleven people. And you know, here I was, thirty-six years old at the time, which I was in great shape and doing it. I actually had my knee scoped at the end of that season. I hadn't felt that good in ten years, and I never played another professional basketball game. That's incredible. I I played that summer at my my camps up in up in uh, Northern California that I had for kids and I used to scrimmage at halftime and I had people like, uh, Marcus, who was it? Yeah. It was Marcus Johnson. And, um, who's the other one, uh, Walter Davis from the Suns came up as guests, oh, guests cool. for the camp and doing We would scrimmage at half and we'd let the counselors play. I was killing those guys. I, I had not felt that good in 10 years. My knee didn't have pain. I could do more things with it. Never played again other than a tour that I went on with a bunch yeah. of retired guys after that. So it's, awesome. it was crazy because you know people said, Oh, Barry can't play, you know, because I averaged 12 13 with the Rockets. Yeah. And I'm going, What are you talking about? I said, I'm doing what the coaches asked me to do. Yeah. We get back to that again. Yeah, I took a role, I was one of the top assist guys in the league playing, playing in the, at the forward position. The offense was geared towards the two guard, the four position, Rudy Tunton, two was Calvin Murphy and, and Mike Newland. And then the four, which is Rudy Tomjanovich in the center, Hall of Famer, Moses Malone. Yeah. And I played the three. So I'm out at the top, passing and doing stuff and not taking that many shots. And, and so in the two seasons I was there, one game, Calvin was sick. And I started it, they, for whatever reason Coach puts me in, I started the two-guard position. I get 25 shots, most I had in any game in two years I was ever there, scored 37 points. So I'm saying, don't tell me I can't play. Yeah. You guys aren't letting me play the way I'm capable of playing, and so I, I knew that that was that was ridiculous. And so everybody was so wrong about that. And I could have really helped Boston or any team. It was either Boston, the Lakers, or uh, Seattle SuperSonics that I would have played with. And, but I decided if I was going to do it, I'd go with Boston, you know, playing back up to yeah. Bird or sometimes on the same floor with Bird and that team. And so many other guys had done that. Yeah. I mean, Bill Walton, Scotty Wedman. Yeah. I mean, you go down a long list of players who wound up finishing a tiny Archibald, finishing yeah. their career with the Celtics. Yeah. Because they played the brand of basketball that I would flourish in, yeah. pass it up the floor, unselfish. And that would have been an interesting experience. And uh, But everything in life happens for a reason. It wasn't meant for me to go there. Yep. And so be it. How many years do you think you had left? Good years. At least four. Really? Oh, yeah. I was in great shape. I kept myself in great shape. I didn't abuse things. My knee felt good and to this day. I'm still, you know, I can still do most things that I want to do. I mean, I would have been, you know, and I would have been playing limited minutes. I would have been playing 30, third 40 minutes a game. I probably would have been playing 20 something minutes a game at the most. And I mean, so, yeah, it would have been easy for me to probably play and take care of myself. Probably could have played another four years.
0: Before I forget, how, how did you get into the underhand free throw? I can't believe it's taken me this long to ask you that.
1: Oh, that's my father. My father was a <laughs> pro player and coach, and he's the one that got me to do it. He shot that way, and thank God that he was relentless about it. And I actually got better. I mean, I went into—I was never an eighty percent free throw shooter, and so the first year I did it in high school, when I was in high school, I shot over eighty, and then I kept getting better. I was actually better in my last two years. My last two years. I shot over my last six years when I made a change to my technique, which I wish I'd been smart enough to do earlier when I was shooting a lot of free throws in the game. And it's easier to shoot a high percentage when you shoot more free throws. Cause yeah. if I miss one, I can still miss one and shoot yeah. not over 90% in one game. Cause if I'm taking 12 and I miss one. I'm 11 yeah. for 12. That's pretty good. Yeah. And so I couldn't. And so I, uh, I just kept getting better and better. My last six years with that new technique, I shot over 92%, which would be the highest of all time. And yeah. my last two years, I shot over 94%. Wow. And so I only missed, in fact, Andre Drummond, a few seasons ago for the Pistons, missed 22 free throws in one game. 22 free throws in one game. My last <laughs> two seasons, I missed 9 and 10, total of 19 in two seasons.
0: Unbelievable. It, t- today, if, if you took that, if you went out and shot 100, how many did you, you knock down?
1: Well, I'd probably slip my wrist if I didn't make it, at least 80%. <laughs>
0: That's incredible. That's wild. And I saw so. Af- I saw after your career, you kind of did. Uh, you kind of um, dabbled in some coaching and some broadcasting. What was interesting to you about that?
1: Well, I studied that all the time to do that. I'm going to just tell my son that this is one of my boys calling me. That I'm going to call sure, him back. Sure. So, uh, so I, I, uh, I had broadcasting when I was in. I would have had a major in uh, broadcasting, but you couldn't have a you couldn't have a minor in 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 school. I was in the business school, University of Miami, majored in marketing. And they didn't allow you to have a minor, but I had enough credits in radio, TV, film work, all of the electives that I took that I probably, I could have had a major. I mean, I would have had a degree in radio, TV, wow. and film. And so I studied for that. It was always my goal to, that was my goal. And Vernon, there's fortunate people that uh, you, you set goals for yourself in life what's you think are important. Mine was to become a professional athlete. I was, first of all, I wanted to be a baseball player and then to change the basketball so I made the – and I got to be a – and I said that I want to be a broadcaster because I saw Pat Summerall and Frank Gifford yeah. football players back in the New York area, who all became – who became broadcasters. And I said, wow, that would be cool. So I'm one of those very fortunate individuals who was able to achieve, you know, two of the goals that I set for myself. And That's I did awesome. – I've done broadcasting work for over 50 years. That's awesome. With a little time off without doing some other things. And so uh, I really enjoyed that. And, and I didn't want to get pigeonholed as just a color analyst in basketball. So I did a lot of other sports. I did the world frisbee – Championships. Oh, wow. I did all kinds of other different rodeo. I mean, whatever it may be. I consider myself a broadcaster, not yeah. a not a color analyst. I did play by play in basketball. That's incredible. Did color analyst in that. Did play by play. I you know hosted the Calgary Stampede. Uh, doing work with there with Larry Mahan, the Hall of Fame uh, rodeo cowboy, and and a whole bunch of other sports. And I really in, enjoyed that. I actually enjoyed that more than I did doing the basketball because the basketball, if you're a color analyst, especially, everybody's mad at you. And I knew I was doing a good job because everybody, when you go to each city in the playoffs when you're doing it, especially the fans there think you're biased against yep. them. Yep. And it makes sense because that means that what, that I'm saying good things and bad things about both teams. The fans only hear, they only hear the bad things I said about their team and the good things I said about the other team. And so they think I'm biased. And so I knew I was doing a good job when fans in both cities didn't think you know thought I was biased so and that's kind of the way it is but when you do the other sports man everybody's there with open arms they're thrilled to have you there I mean I did the world I did the the gold cup in uh, in hydro racing in fact I started to show went 160 miles an hour in a hydroplane to open up a show it was really cool (laughs) I mean so I got to do so many really cool things and when you do it for the other sports as I say they open you with welcome arms they're just thrilled to have you there they're getting their sport broadcast this is awesome you know, and I've done other stuff. I was co-hosting on some hunting shows for doing some bird hunting for for uh, for pheasant and some other hunting show for ducks and geese, and and I do fishing. That's cool. So yeah, I mean, so I'm very lucky. I mean, if you have something you love and have a passion for, that's what I tell kids. I said, find something you have a love and passion for. I told you about with building the yeah. foundation, but also you you never work for a living. If you're doing what you love to do, that's not work. No.
0: I have a question. How, how did you get into podcasting?
1: Well, I, I got called by my one of my former producers when I did radio stuff for KMBR Radio. I was doing things in the San Francisco Bay Area for KMBR. I had a number of different uh, uh, different producers. And Cyrus Satches, who was one of my producers, called me up uh, a year or so ago and said, would you be interested in doing a podcast? And I said, well, I don't know. What do you think? And I said, yeah, we're going to do something to talk about focus on the Warriors, talk about the NBA. And I said, yeah, why not? I keep my hand in it and do yeah. some things. And so I agreed to it. And so we do a podcast. In fact, I think we got one scheduled this week. I think we've got George Carl. I think it's going oh, to be cool. on it. Um, and so, you know, we don't haven't done it that often with all this craziness going on obviously, yeah. but uh, it's fun. You know, I just, I love the game. It's fun to talk about it and it's kind of like falling off a log doing it when doing the podcast is I'm sorry, nothing against you, but I mean, that's, you know, you don't have to do a whole lot of preparation. Like when I was doing when I was doing sports radio back in San Francisco for KMBR, I was doing my my own show for three years. I did my own show for three hours a day. That wow. People don't understand. This isn't like I go and flip on a thing, put a headset on, and talk <laughs> for three hours, especially when you're doing it in an area that has so many different teams. I mean, yeah. I got to be able to talk about the Sharks. And I got to be able to talk about the colleges, about the pro teams, about – it's it's a lot of time and effort and what I'm proudest of is I still have the tapes of it. I had a national quality show with guests. I mean the guests I had on I I'm very proud of what I was able to do there. I had Sandy Koufax on for an hour. Wow! Think about that. When have you even heard Sandy Koufax doing something? <laughs> okay, I had Willie Mays on my first show because I had to do an hour of we did a charity auction and stuff. And so the first hour was still part of the auction and stuff. And then I had two hours afterwards. That was, that was going to be my first show. I had my boyhood hero, Willie Mays on for the full two hours. That's incredible. And I had Barry Bonds on after he set the home run record for three hours, all three hours of my show. And he divulged the fact that he had a death threat that nobody knew about during the course of that season. I mean, so I've had some pretty amazing, uh, some amazing guests on my show and I'm very proud of that.
0: Do you think Willie Mays was the one you were by most starstruck by? What's that? Was Willie Mays the one you said you were most starstruck by, most starstruck by?
1: Well, Willie Mays is why I wore 24. He's my boyhood hero. My father taught me how to catch the old basket catch, <laughs> and he was a rookie. And so I said, well, oh, that's my guy. And so it yeah. turned out to be pretty good. And, that's awesome. And then uh, not only that, my boyhood hero became my personal friend. I mean, he asked me to actually be one of the speakers at his 80th birthday party at Bally's awesome. when so They had a whole stage full of Hall of Fame baseball players. And me, and the 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 guy was putting together his his reps. said said Rick. He said, "Willie wants you to be the first speaker." I said, "Really?" He said, "Oh yeah, yeah. He wants you to go up there. He says wants you to tell the story about how you how you you met him and stuff and all." So (laughs) I I got it was fun. It was like packed ballroom. I mean, I know twenty five hundred people or whatever there. And so I get up as the first person. Introduce Rick Barry. I said, "Okay, I know exactly what every single one of you (laughs) is thinking right now. What the hell is he doing here?" (laughs) <laughs> and I said, I'm kind of thinking the same thing. And then I tell him the story about how I got the first time I ever met Willie when I cut school to go to a, a Giants game and, and, uh, and, and jumped the fence to go and shake his hand before he went up the stairs to the polo ground locker room where they had in center field as opposed to dugouts where they go underground. And, and so, yeah, it was, that was pretty cool.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that's really all the really good questions I really had for you. I just wanted to uh, thank you again. for Sure, my the time. pleasure. Uh,
1: good luck to you and what you're doing. Uh, it's always great to to talk sports and talk about a sport that's uh, been great to Absolutely. to to me and, and also obviously to my family. Yeah. I mean, you know, I got five boys that all have gotten Division One college scholarships. Awesome. Of all five have played professional basketball. Yeah. My youngest is still playing. He's on the he was on the three x three. Uh, basketball world cup championship team. It's the only gold medal the USA had never won in basketball before last summer in June. He was fortunate enough to be on that team. He made the tryouts and he led the team in scoring four of their seven games. They went undefeated, won the gold medal. And unfortunately they didn't qualify for the Olympics, which made no sense to me how you win the world championship and you don't get a qualification into the Olympics. So, but they did get the qualification to go to the qualification tournament, (laughs) which was supposed to take place this past March. And then that got, obviously yeah. postponed because of COVID yeah. and so he try, had to try out again and he tried out again and was chosen again to be on that team and they were in the middle of actually training to go over to India for the qualifying tournament so now that's next next May oh, wow. and hopefully they'll have a chance to go there and finish third or better and if they do that they'll qualify for the Olympics and then he might have a chance to to be an Olympian which would be, which would be awesome so Definitely. pretty unbelievable I mean uh, the odds on that And having, I was hoping to have one kid that could play, you know, but to have all five of them, I mean, the odds on that are so freaking astronomical. It's just, it's just beyond comprehension. I don't even know how you can figure that out. You know, have a father have five sons and every one of them follow in his, his career and his sport, get division one college scholarships and all of them become professional players. It's crazy. Yeah. Very blessed.
0: Did you, did you kind of lean them towards basketball or were you fine with them? No, all,
1: See, all you do as a parent and I tell other people when they ask you, I said, what you do as a parent is you expose your children to a variety of opportunities in life, whether it be music, see what they have an interest in, whether it's music, whether it's art, whatever it may be, sports provide the opportunity for them to do it, let them experience it. And then let them determine which one really appeals to them and then support them as much as you possibly can in that. and and don't, now so much is so specialized and they get them in so early and they just, they just overdo it. I mean, they burn these kids out at such an early age, let them play in other sports, let them do other things. And then when they get into high school, then you can kind of focus it. If that's something, you know, let them then focus on that particular sport, but just support them as much as you can, but let them make the decision. Now you can influence them some because you expose them to it. Like I tried to discourage them from ever playing tackle football, and all of my four of my five boys all played one, at least one season of tackle football. I didn't want them to, but I certainly didn't prevent them from doing it. I just didn't encourage it. And I was fortunate enough, my youngest son Canyon, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to discourage him from ever doing it. Which <laughs> I was happy with, And because they were all kind of built like me, you know, tall, skinny, doing them. We wouldn't have football bodies. And so, Although Canyon's been lifting weights and what they do now, I mean, even in basketball, he'd just be big and strong. <laughs> he'd be a hell of a football player, but the hands he has and the, the quickness and stuff he has. But, you know, so that's, uh, that's what you need to do as a parent is just uh, encourage them and expose them to as many opportunities in life and, and various different uh, activities and then see what they
0: like. Well, if Canyon's interested, I know that Washington needs a receiver more than anything in the world, so maybe they can give him a try out or something because they their receiver course not looking too hot this year. But,
1: <laughs> but yeah. yeah I, well, anyway, listen. All the best to you. I hope everything's good. God bless you and your uh, your your listeners or viewers. I don't know if this does this go on with uh, does this go on Zoom so they can see it. Oh no, so I'm gonna
0: put put it on um, YouTube and I'll put it on. Yeah, all but the, it's uh, just
1: it's just the voice. There's oh, a the voice and picture. Oh, is, it is. Okay, yeah. Good. Is, is, well, that's well, a good thing. I don't look all too too bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. anyway yeah so all the best to you people who are watching and tuning in here i hope that your lives haven't been too disrupted by this covid insanity and hopefully we come back to some sense of normalcy here as quickly as possible and come to our senses as far as all this crazy writing and everything else that's going on and doing things that make no sense whatsoever but more than anything else god bless all of you